Hi, this is Ken Rose from Outtakes and Fresh Starts on Substack. This is chapter three from a spiritual novel, The Cave of the Saints, which I wrote and self-published in the early months of the COVID-19 pandemic. The first two chapters are also available on Outtakes and Fresh Starts. Chapter three, The Buddha and the Flame of Golden Light. The walls of the cave began to brighten and the niches of the divine figures shone as windows into unknown but brighter worlds. I spontaneously greeted the divine ones by pressing my palms together in front of my chest in the familiar gesture of greeting in traditional India. Then all but one of the niches dimmed, leaving just one illuminated niche sheltering a familiar figure sitting in the lotus pose, the Buddha. A ray of light emanated from him and cut through the layers of darkness, swaddling my mind in countless folds of anxiety, hopefulness, regret, negativity, and guilt. The Buddha's face was set in a gentle smile, and his eyes were closed in deep contemplation. When he opened his eyes, a rainbow emerged from his forehead, and it lit up the cave with the colors of the spectrum. Physical images of the Buddha belong to my childhood. My grandparents, longtime yogis and one-time counterculturalists, had lived in ashrams in the 1970s, and they maintained an altar in a spare bedroom in their house, which they used as a meditation room. It was filled with the sacred objects that they had collected on pilgrimages to holy places such as Varanasi, Lourdes, Dharamsala, the Hopi Second Mesa, Tiruvannamalai, Rome, Jerusalem, Kyoto, and other holy sites whose names I have forgotten. Unlike my more pragmatic parents, my grandparents carried an air of adventure about them, and we never knew where they would be going next. Although my parents encouraged me to take up a practical major in college, I followed a path more like my grandparents' path when I became a religion major, which brought me to the doctoral program in comparative religion at the nearby university. Off to the right side of my grandparents' meditation room, in front of a window that faced a wooded stream, stood an image of the Buddha carved from teakwood. My grandparents acquired this fine-featured statue in the night market in Chiang Mai, a Buddhist pilgrimage town brimming with monasteries and temples in northern Thailand. There's an ongoing English-language meditation course always underway there at a local temple, or Wat, and after meditating there for a month, they shipped the image of the Buddha home so that they could meditate in front of it. I often sat in its presence in the meditation room, although I wasn't aware of the Buddha's spiritual significance in those days. And it was in that room that I first meditated and practiced yoga. One thing I do remember from my time meditating there is that I often wondered why the Buddha was smiling. Now the Buddha began to speak to me mentally from his niche and his voice appeared in my mind as a sparkling stream of visible sounds, which I could read and hear simultaneously. He chanted poetically, pure the mind that's free of faults, pure the destiny when faults fade. Search yourself, no self is found. 
Seek what's without self, shines then the deathless. His, he turned his eyes, which sparkled like the light of the full moon, toward me, and posed a riddle. What part of you do you cherish when you cherish yourself? The riddle seemed to be asking me to identify what precisely it is that I delight in or most prize when I cherish myself. I cherish myself, I thought, but that couldn't be the answer because it's circular. It merely repeats something that is already known to define something that needs to be known. It didn't get me any further along in resolving the riddle to say that the part of me that I cherish when I cherish myself is me. I revolved the riddle in my mind, testing various shades of its possible meanings, but all that happened was that my brain got overloaded. A wave of nausea overwhelmed me that was like what I felt when I found myself stuck and without a move in the dead-end zone of philosophical controversies, such as whether or not the will is free or whether or not consciousness is a product of the brain. I thought that I might lie down and take a nap, hoping that sleep would halt the mental whirling brought on by the quest to find the part of me that I cherish when I cherish myself. But then I saw a trace of the way forward. I saw that I had to go deeper than, deeper than the words and their meanings. It seemed that the riddle was pushing me to detect the part of me that I cherish as myself when I cherish myself. Wouldn't that be my real self, I thought? What I truly take to be myself? I laughed triumphantly and sat up straight now that I had found the way forward. I looked up and saw that the Buddha was gazing at me with the, with the glance of, a patient, of patient curiosity, like a parent watching a child riding a bike without help for the first time. I quickly dismissed absurd possibilities. I asked myself if my left pinky is the part of me that I cherish when I cherish myself. No, clearly not. I, meant, I mentally answered my own question. Then I asked if my nose is the part of me that I cherish when I cherish myself. Again, no, clearly not. The part of me that I cherish when I cherish myself is not my body nor any part of it, I thought. It seems that I still thought of myself as possessing a soul despite years of schooling and skeptical educational settings. But if the part of me that I cherish when I cherish myself is my soul, what's that? How can I detect it? Perhaps my soul is my feelings or thoughts, I thought. But feelings and thoughts change and disappear, yet I remain myself. So no, they're not the part of me that I cherish when I cherish myself. How about my sense of who I am as Armin Toms, a soon-to-be PhD in comparative religion, 27 years old, a native New York? Well, not any of that either. My parents might have given me a different name. They might have moved to California just before I was born, or I might have taken their advice and gone into a more practical field than religious studies. Perhaps it is that unique quality that I and only I possess, my singular sense of being me. But what person doesn't have that feeling of being who they are? 
how does my sense of being me differ from someone else's sense of being who they are? Then a shiver of insight rattled the cage of my thoughts. Like a flash of lightning in a midnight sky, I saw that there is no difference between my sense of being me and someone else's sense of being who they are. Perhaps even cats and elephants have a wordless sense of being themselves apart from everyone else. But when I separated my sense of being who I am from every other personal characteristic, such as national nationality, height, eye color, and so on, I realized that nothing differentiates my sense of being who I am from anyone else's sense of being who they are. So if this sense is identical in each conscious being, then it's not unique to anyone. It turns out then that what I cherish as uniquely myself is not unique to me nor to any other person because prior to all of our differences, we share a singular and undifferentiated sense of being ourselves. At that moment, I penetrated to the bottom of the riddle and my mind vanished. It was replaced by a radiant feel of openness spreading out on all sides without borders or any trace of unhappiness. I glanced up and saw that the Buddha was smiling radiantly and he held his right hand aloft with his palm facing me. My, my, my body became still as my breath slowed dramatically and my memory unfolded itself like an accordionist spreading the ridged bellows of an accordion. And images and events and people in num numberless lifetimes whirled kaleidoscopically before my mind's eye. As in a dream, this vision followed a narrative that was not under my conscious control. And I let it play out while I contemplated rapidly passing scenes of stress and pleasure from uncounted previous and future lives. I saw myself acting in scenes that I remembered as my own and I let them pass without comment, regret, or nostalgia. I felt as if I were looking at the photo album of a stranger. Then the swirl of images slowed to a stop, and a scene long for forgotten from another one of my countless lives appeared and took over the screen of my memory. I saw myself sitting in a nun's robe by a river underneath a coconut palm tree, on the other side of the stream, a farmer guided a water buffalo along a path skirting a rice field. The reflection of the sun's light in the water dazzled my eyes, but it wasn't as bright as the light within me. I had been meditating for weeks in a thatched hut set back from the shore near a wide spreading banyan tree with many intertwined uh, uh, branches offering shade from the summer sun to quarreling troops of monkeys. I couldn't say what century it was, but it seemed to be in the early decades after, after the Buddha attained his final nirvana, his perfect enlightenment. My teacher had been one of the Buddha's last disciples, an arahant, a fully awakened one, who had attained nirvana in the Buddha's presence. I looked at my hands folded in my lap, and my vision penetrated through my skin to the arteries and ligaments, then to the bones, and finally through the bones to the energy that was dancing them into existence. I realized that this complex 
but harmonious system of organized energy that I thought of as my body was not the part of me that I cherished when I cherished myself, for my bones and flesh were expanding magically out of a radiant sea of light, sparkling with infinite wisdom and compassion, untouched by death and suffering. My mind collapsed back into itself, and I saw a multiverse composed of countless universes containing Buddhas in every direction, teaching in numberless forms that mirror the forms of every kind of living being on every level of the, of the multiverse, from the lowest and least hospitable realms to the highest celestial realms. Then the imagery faded, and the seeing of my eyes ceased leaving only a shimmer of unmodified existence. In ecstasy, I began to sing a poem that I composed on the spot. What's arisen is now dissolved, all this. No fear, no regrets, no loss. Gliding in the unconditioned, happiness all around, awakening to all. On the far shore, nirvana awaits. My feet have entered the stream. Not more than seven lives must I return on the wheel of becoming, happiness all around, awakening to all. A tear streaked my cheek, and I gazed with unseeing eyes across the stream to the other shore. A cloud of quiet but tremendous bliss washed through me, accompanied by a sense of weightlessness, as all desires faded away leaving only an edgeless expanse of clarity and freedom. Enlightenment was an inch away. Then I remembered that many beings remain trapped in the net of forgetfulness and illusion. I urged them forward toward enlightenment inwardly, and I vowed to stay on this side of the shore of awakening for as long as any one of them remained in bondage. Come back to this moment, friend. I awakened from that long gone life into my current life as Armin Toms, and I, and I turned my eye, eyes toward the Buddha. His golden body was transparent, and I saw countless streams of interpenetrating but never colliding universes subsisting inside his radiant form. Now, friend, you may understand why you have been led to this cave. Long ago, on that day in India, you chose to delay your own entrance into nirvana until every other being had entered the path to enlightenment. It was then that you chose the noble path of the bodhisattva. But you shouldn't neglect your own spiritual destiny while serving others. To deepen your capacity for enlightened seeing, I offer you a training that you can call the flame of the golden light. Turn your gaze within. Look inside your mind with closed eyes and see my body, which is as tall and as wide as the universe. This body shines with, with golden light. And if you look at it carefully, you will see that all beings are present in its countless crisscrossing worlds. You have lived many lives of wandering up and down the ranks of these worlds. Now look through the universe as if it were merely a reflection on glass, like a window at night reflecting images on a television screen playing in a room in a dark house. Beyond the illusory image of the universe, see a flame of golden energy 
dancing energy energetically like a rapidly moving waveform on an oscilloscope. That is the dance of being, the dance of what is. Contemplate the dance of the golden flame as it continuously transforms into one shape after another. This is the continuous creation and destruction of the world. All of these worlds arise in the dance of the golden flame, so cherish all of them as divine energy forms. But don't get lost in them, because none of them endures for more than an instant in the ceaseless dance of the golden flame. Instead, focus your attention on the center of the flame and look through it until you encounter the indestructible, the immortal, the quiet, and the pure, in the imageless emptiness at its white-hot center. Everything that arises in the golden flame also subsides in it, including the flame itself, at which point there is only a climbing without limbs into the unfabricated, the unproduced. With one eye, watch the dancing flame unfurl these worlds. With the other eye, see them disappear in the flame. As a bodhisattva, practice enlightened action. Renounce the world while cherishing it, and you will live in nirvana, which is the cessation of the forms of life and experience that bind us. Contemplate the fiery source of the changing forms of experience until they dissolve, leaving only an endless horizon of freedom and fearlessness. This is what I call seeing with both eyes. This is the contemplative practice of the highly realized yogi. This is embodied enlightenment, liberation while remaining in the body. The Buddha ascended to his niche and its light faded until it glowed again with the same low wattage intensity of the other niches. I sat for a while in timelessness, practicing seeing with both eyes. For a long hour or so, I remained in a space of absolute calmness and tranquility, contemplating the dazzling space of ultimacy, out of which bouquets of aromatic, uh, multi-hued flowers spontaneously blossomed like fireworks before fading into the emptiness. At some point, without noticing the transition between sleep and waking, I lay down and fell into a deep, dreamless sleep. <laughs>